Hey, have a seat, and as you do, uh, get a Bible in front of you to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, 1 Timothy 3, if you don't have a Bible, you'll find one in a seat somewhere by you. Please get that out, get it in front of you. We want you to see God's Word as you hear God's Word, and if you don't own a Bible, leave with that. We would love for you to take that. Uh, we're studying this, this book in the Bible that is uh, God's grace, God's gift to us, um, that, that provides guidance over how He desires His household the church to operate. And so um, God has been so good that he, he doesn't ask us to, to try to figure it out or to wonder how all of this is supposed to work as a church, but he provides instruction for us that we can turn to. Today, as we come to chapter 3 in 1 Timothy, we get into this, this topic of leadership in the church. And now, um, you all know how important leadership is in every area of life. Leadership is important to the Lord, and spiritual leadership is very dear to his heart. Who is to lead in the church, and how are they to lead, and how do we know who is to lead? This is where we come as we turn to chapter 3 of the book of 1 Timothy. Um, uh, the, the big idea today, I want to give it to you and get right into it. The big idea of today is this. Elders, uh, that's, that's the, those providing oversight in the church. Elders must have a godly desire to serve as an overseer and godly character to qualify as an overseer. And, and I want to take today just in two clear parts. In part one, I want us to look for this, this, at this desire uh, for the office of overseer. And then in part two, I want us to unpack, just, with, um, just spend some time here, unpacking this paragraph to look at the qualifications God lays down for those he calls to the office of overseer. Now, uh, some of you might be thinking, you're going, okay, uh, I'm not an elder in a church, so this message applies very, very uh, little to me. And, and I, I want to tell you, I don't believe that to be true. I believe that this message matters deeply for every single one of us sitting in the room. And, and I believe so on a couple part, parts. One, if you're part of a household of God, if you're part of a church, you need to know what God calls the spiritual leadership of that church to. You with me on that? Like if you don't know what that is, you, you don't know whether you're part of a healthy household or not. But then the, the second reality, and I want to speak more to this as we come to part two of the message, is that these qualifications that we're going to spend a lot of time walking through, um, these are simply qualifications that God wants to be true of any heart that's planted in the gospel. He wants these character qualifications to be true of every one of us sitting in this room, that God would have an entire church here whose character can be marked by the very things that he lists out here and calls those who uh, are called to the office of elder too. And so I want to speak more to that in a bit, but right now I want to pray and I want to get right into it. Father, uh, I pray for your help right now. Um, God, please, as your word goes out, Lord, we pray for a supernatural power that sweeps across this room. Lord, that, that power, a power that is not built on any sort of uh, eloquence of words, but on the, 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 the foolishness, as, as your word says, of the preaching of the word. God, please do a great work. I beg you for that. I pray, Lord, as the word is heard, I pray, Lord, that you would do a great work, not only in ears and in minds, but in hearts, that we would hear it and we would worship our way through it. God, please, only your spirit can do that. So spirit, come now, do that, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, first thing, write this down as this. Our elders must aspire to the office of overseer. I want you to look at what it says in verse 1. 1 Timothy 3, verse 1. It says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. 
Now, I, I, I want to break this first point of the sermon into two, uh, two parts, if I can. Uh, first, I want us to look at what, what is this office of overseer, and then I want to talk about this aspiring to it. But I, I don't want to make any uh, presumptions or assumptions that all of us are on the same page when the Bible brings up this office of overseer. So what in the, word, uh, what in the world does this mean? Uh, Let me start this by saying we believe the New Testament model is that churches are led by a plurality of elders. Plurality meaning more than one. Uh, so, so when this church was started, we, we didn't sit around and go, like, should we be a congregationally governed church or an, an elder governed church or led by a group of deacons or led by one solo pastor? We, we, didn't, we didn't make that decision because we didn't believe that was a decision that was left for us to, to make. We believe the New Testament lays down a model of how the church is to be led, and we believe that model is plurality of elders, or what, the, what, the, uh, what First Timothy calls the office of, of overseer. And now you, you see this throughout the New Testament in the book of Acts, as Paul and the missionaries are pioneering the gospel into new cities. You see in subsequent missionary journeys as they circle back in these cities that um, they're taking new believers, they're forming them into local churches, and they're appointing elders in every city to oversee these churches. Uh, You see this in something like Titus chapter 1 when Paul writes to Titus. He said, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And so we just believe this is the prevailing model in the New Testament that the local church is to be led by a plurality of elders. And thus, our local church is led by a plurality of elders. And you'll see their names and their pictures on the screen behind me. But but these are the men we believe that God has called to the office of overseer, what we call elders at Redeemer Bible Church. And in this list here, you can always find on our website and know who our elders are. At the end of every first Tuesday, our elders and their spouses are up front right here to always be uh, praying for you, talking to you, engaging you. And you can always reach out to any of them uh, to guide and to shepherd you through anything that uh, your life might be, you know, having you navigate through in the time. But, but our church is led by a plurality of elders because we believe that's the New Testament model. Now, what... What is the office of overseer responsible for? What what do elders do? What has God called them to do? Uh, 1 Peter chapter 5 says it like this. Peter's talking to elders and he says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. And so Peter here is calling the elders to shepherd the flock of God among them. That's a powerful picture. To to exercise oversight over that flock in which they've been entrusted. And we believe the way that overseers provide oversight is through what we say around here, doctrine, direction, and discipline. So our elders here are responsible for doctrine, direction, and discipline. Uh, Let's start here with this this doctrine piece. Um, The elders of a local church are entrusted by God to help protect sound doctrine and help root out any doctrine that is not sound or any doctrine that is wrong. Now, let me ask this question. Should all of us be taking up the mantle to protect the sound doctrine in this church? Yes or no? Yes. Yes. 
all of us have some responsibility in making sure that we're learning what is sound doctrine. And, and when we hear doctrine that's a little off, that we're taking people aside and going, hey, I want to ask more questions about that. I, I want to point you to some things in the scriptures. But the elders are responsible before God to make sure the doctrinal health of a church stays healthy. I, I want you to see something on this regard that Paul said to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20. He says this, he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that, look at what he said, this is really intense. Yeah, it's just intense language. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And so Paul gets this group of elders together and he says, now you got to know something. Like after I leave, some fierce wolves are going to come in. They're going to try to devour the flock doctrinally, lead them astray. Now fierce wolves, that's intense language, is it not? He doesn't say the cute little bambies will come prancing in. Fierce wolves will come in, but then he says something I find even more scary. He says, and even from your own midst, people will rise up twisting things. And it's elder responsibility to make sure that the doctrine of a church does not get twisted and does not get off track. Uh, but the elders also provide direction to a local church. Where are we going? What is God calling us to? And now, on this, on this topic, let me make one note. Elders of a local church are not first primary direction setters. Elders of a local church are first primary direction seekers. They are to seek the chief shepherd Jesus' direction for a local church and then just pass along what Jesus has said to do. That's really important. That when the Bible talks about overseers and elders, uh, these are not men who, without authority over them. No, these are men with great authority over them, and that authority is King Jesus Christ. This is his church, it's his, and the first thing that elders need to be doing in a local church is listening to the voice of Jesus and what is he saying to do, and then passing that along to the congregation to lead in that direction. It's so important. And so the elders are responsible before the Lord for the direction, the vision of where God is asking the church to go. And then this third part, elders, as they seek to live out this office of overseers, oversee the discipline process in the church. Uh, we believe scripture lays out a process for discipline, a restoration, that when, uh, uh, when someone who's in the household goes wayward in consistent, unrepentant sin, it's the elders who are pursuing after that person to seek to restore them back into right fellowship. And the Lord lays out, um, you know, processes in his word of what that looks like and how, how you lead through that with love. But it's the elders who will take up the charge for discipline matters in a local congregation. And so uh, when, when the Bible talks about this office of overseer, I, I, I lay all that before you just to give you the, uh, an idea of how we think about this office and kind of a bigger picture of what the New Testament has to say about it. But now, there's something about this office that's really interesting that verse 1 says, if anyone, if anyone, what's it say in your Bible, if anyone what? If anyone aspires to the office an odd word. 
If anyone aspires to the office, he desires a noble task. And so for, for those that the Lord has called to serve the local church as an elder, there is an aspiring for that that God puts in the heart of a man. There's a desire for it. And now I, I know in our day we can at, maybe at times be a little skeptical of people who seem like they're aspiring to positions of authority. And we're like, well, okay, what are, what are the motives of someone like that? But we got to see here that God does put a, 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 a humble desire, a humble aspiring into the heart of someone who he is making, Lord willing, and forming into a humble shepherd leader to serve the church of God in this office. But how do you know that someone who's even maybe aspiring to it is qualified for it? Is that not an important question? You can't put unqualified people into positions of spiritual leadership. And this is what the whole rest of this paragraph is devoted to. So second part of the sermon today, here it is. Our elders must be qualified for the office of overseer. Our elders got to be qualified for this call. And so if I can, let me read the rest of the paragraph, and then I want to come back uh, one by one and just double click on each of these. Verse 2 says, therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. And so you have a list now that seeks to answer this question, who is qualified to serve the local church in this role of office of overseer or as an elder? And um, um, I, I want to walk through, as I said, I want to double click if we can on each of these qualifications to make sure we are all clear on what this says and what this means for us. But before I do, let me just remind you of something I said at the beginning. This list of characteristics is something God wants to see true of all of our hearts in this room today. Here's what you need to know if you're in here today and you're not a Christian. Uh, you are... You're, you're, you're partaking, you're, you're sitting in a household, we're a family. And what makes us a household or a family is not that we're just a religious bunch, you know, within culture. It's not that we, we are just trying to work really hard to be good moral people. What has made us a family and has made us a household is that we are, we're wretched sinners who have been saved by an awesome Savior, and his name is Jesus. He went to the cross it would, you know, even if you're not a Christian, you've probably heard this story, especially in our culture. He went to the cross. He bore our penalty. Sin has a penalty. When, when you sin against a holy God, there's a penalty for that. And God said it's a death penalty. Jesus going to the cross, he took the death penalty on our behalf. 
He was killed. He was laid in a tomb. Three days later, he rose back to life. Yes, we believe it. We believe it. With, we stake our whole life on it. In fact, if you come back next week, we're going to party. We're going to celebrate that fact and party hardy with that, okay? And then he invites us into a relationship with himself by faith. So Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, he doesn't look at us and he say, now go be the best moral version of you that you can be. No, he says, uh, you're, you're utterly lost without me. I extend my grace to you and will you believe in me to save you from your sins? The moment that happens in a life, it's not that just Jesus spit shines us and makes us a little bit better than we already were. He makes us brand new. He gives us a brand new heart. He gives us a brand new heart. Our desires, though we're not perfect, our desires now go from like sin and self to an increasing desire for holiness in him. And, and I, I say all that to say all of these characteristics now that I'm going to read, all they are are the fruit of a heart that has been firmly planted in the gospel. And what Paul is saying here is that I hope these things are true of a whole church, but they for sure have to be true of the elders who are leading the church. Y'all with me? And so, like, I, I just want you to know that, that as we walk through this, this isn't just for, like, the ten guys I put their, their pictures on the screen. This is all of us going, Lord, grow me in that. Lord, grow me in that. Lord, grow me in that. And it's for sure for all of us to go, and our elders better be living these things out. So here we go. Therefore, verse 2, an overseer must be above reproach. I believe that this is kind of the header over the entire list. That the big thing God calls overseers, elders to, is that they live a life of above reproach. This doesn't mean elders are perfect, and all God's people say, amen. If the qualification was perfection, every church would be elderless, and every church would be pastorless. The idea Paul's getting at is that elders are to seek to live a life that is above an accusation. And so a spiritual leader gives thought to what they say and where they go and how they're living. Is there anything even in this that could put me in way of accusation? And I would commend that, again, as I said, not just for spiritual leaders in a church, but for all of God's people within the church. How do we live life in such a way that is above an accusation. And so this is what the Lord is getting at when he says, I, I call elders to a life that is above reproach. The, the idea here is that if, if your friends or your family or someone you knew, they, they heard that you were an elder in a church, they wouldn't go, what, you? I can't believe that. If you can be, surely anyone can, right? Uh, uh, quick story, you always get the, the extras in second service. I'm not time crunched. And um, I was, uh, you know, I, I've told you many times, I didn't know, I grew up in a Christian home, didn't know the Lord, though, in high school. Went off to college. Jesus, by his grace, saved me. Like, brand new person. You know, desire for him, growing. And so I go back, I go back years later. Like, I'm just, I'm serving in a local church in, in Crawfordsville, Indiana, and I'm back at my parents' house in Michigan. And uh, one of my old high school buddies, an old teammate, he's mowing my parents' lawn. And I walk out on the deck, and he stops the morning. He's like, you are kidding me, man. Like, we're catching up. And he's like, dude, what are you doing now? I'm like, I'm a pastor in Indiana. He goes, no expletive. <laughs> and I just started laughing. I'm like, I know, man, I know. 
But hopefully in that story, I had, I had built a, some consistent years of life since when I was hanging out with Scotty P back home to show us that my character could uphold that new calling in my life. Above reproach, above reproach. Now he says next, therefore an overseer must be above reproach. And then he says the husband of one wife. So, so a, a, a marriage matters. But there's, but there's more to this in the original language that, that, that we might read when we read it in English. You have a footnote in your Bible. Go to the bottom of your page. It says, or, or a man of one woman. An elder in a church must be a one-woman man. Okay? This, this for sure means no polygamist can serve as elders. It for sure means no guy running around on his wife can serve as an elder. But there's more to that here that gets at the heart. Someone called the spiritual leadership in a church must be a one-woman a one man from the heart out. In their heart, with their mind, with their eyes in every way. This is what the Lord calls elders to. This is what the Lord calls all of you married folks to. But now, a couple things that almost have to be drilled in a bit more deeply on that qualification is this. One, this doesn't disqualify single men from serving as elders. I've, I've been asked that question through the years. Man, you read that. Does that mean uh, no single man can serve? Because he's, he's not a one-woman man. He doesn't have a wife. No, this is a qualification laid down for those married men. And this sets a precedent of purity for those God might call as single men into a pastoring or eldering role. And now, the second thing, depending on uh, what you were taught on this passage based on previous church experience, that I want to be super clear with you all today, we don't even interpret this to mean that anyone who's ever had a divorce in their past can never serve as an elder in the future. And so again, I, I come from some church backgrounds in which that was like, oh, you know, we'd be looking at like super godly qualified men in the church and be like, oh, no, they were divorced in like 1977. I, I don't believe that's what this passage teaches. I know some of you might, and, and it's okay, we can wrestle through that. But I believe with what you have in this passage, you have a list of character qualifications that God wants to be sure are time-tested in a man's life. But it doesn't necessarily disqualify someone if way back then, for example, another qualification, way back then they were a drunkard. Jesus saved them. They've lived two decades of godliness and victory over that. He wouldn't disqualify them for that two, two decades ago. And I don't believe he does the same on that issue of divorce. And so I just wanted that to be clear because that's another question that can come up around that character qualification. So an overseer is above reproach, husband of one wife. And then this is beautiful, sober-minded, sober-minded. If I can make a, a, a point that I've been making on this, the idea of being sober-minded isn't just an elder qualification thing. It's, it's throughout all the New Testament. The Lord calls his people to sober-mindedness. Now, we, we know what it means to be sober. Uh, sober means uh, to be free from impairing influences. And so those God calls to positions or an office of spiritual leadership, they can't be people who are just like tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine they hear. They, they can't be under the influence always in their thought. I don't know why I'm doing this. This seems right. Okay. They, they can't be under the influence all the time. So, so elders, elders aren't like swayed by like the latest conspiracy theories coming out of basement bloggers, you know? They're just, they're just not. 
Why? Because there are people whose hearts have been rooted in the gospel, and it's the gospel that's driving their thinking. It's God's word in which they've rooted their life that's driving their thinking. And so, sober-minded, sober-minded. He goes on to say, self-controlled. And I want to pair the next one with this, self-controlled, respectable. Uh, Fruit of the Spirit, let's do this together. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And so those that God calls to the office of overseer, every believer in this room, God calls to a life of self-control. Can I confess something to you? Apart from Jesus Christ, I have no hope of a life of self-control. I know me. I know me pre-Jesus. I see how the flesh rears its ugly head even now that I got the Spirit of God dwelling inside of me. Apart from Jesus, I'd be on like those YouTube road rage videos, okay? No hope for self-control. Thanks be to God who through the power of the Holy Spirit works a fruit of self-control in the life of the believer, amen? And those who are called to serve the office of overseer must exhibit a life of self-control, which I believe ties closely with that next idea of being respectable. Uh, What you see throughout this whole list is that this, this man called to serve as an elder personally within their family and within their community must live a life that makes sense based on the spiritual role that they've been called to. That they should be able to be looked on in a way and people in general respect the way they live their life. Self-control, respectable. And then this is a beautiful qualification that the Lord lays down here for elders. the, The next word he says is hospitable. One called to the office of overseer must live in such a way that his home is open and his heart is open. That, um, you know, in the first century, if you read on this a bit, you had these traveling gospel workers. People like Paul and his team, Timothy, Titus, guys like this. It, It seemed that what was laid down for first century elders is that they were to lead the way and their home being open to these these traveling gospel workers. And man, I would just lay before us, like, what would it look like to have a whole church full of people, like, truly living out biblical hospitality? Our homes and our hearts open to kingdom workers, to our fellow church, uh, you know, fellow church family, and even to strangers that God would bring across our path. That we would be seeking to live lives of hospitality. Uh, Hospitality that, that isn't, you know, it's not just shallow level, but truly open homes open hearts, and this is one of the things that God calls the elder to. And so, someone who serves as an elder will have exhibited their house being open for hospitality long before they're in a role where they're serving the household of God. After hospitable, he says this. Now, before I read the next one, let me ask a question. Everything that we've read thus far, have these been more focused on character or on competency? Character. Isn't that beautiful? 
So often when, when you're looking at qualifications of leadership for different organizations or whatever, like you get the job description and it's competency, 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 competency. I find it beautiful that in this list, every single one of them that I would argue minus one is character related, not competency related. And you come next to the, to, to the one related to competency. It's at the end of verse two and it says able to teach. So an overseer in the church must be able to handle the word of God. An overseer must be a man of God who can teach the word of God. Now, it doesn't mean that all of our elders, you know, necessarily have like a call to preach on their life. But all of our elders must be able to stand behind this book to expound what it says, to apply it to your lives and to guide people from the word of God and its sound teaching. It's one of the qualifications that God gives here. Now... As we come to verse 3, I know we're walking through a list here, but it's so important that we know these things. As we come to verse 3, the format of these qualifications change a bit. Up to this point, it's been saying an elder must, an elder must, an elder must, an elder must. Now as we come to verse 3, it's going to be, and they can't be this, they can't be this, they can't be this, they can't be this. Verse 3, not a drunkard, no one who is enslaved to alcohol can serve the household of God well. Not violent, but gentle. No spiritual leader can be a violent man, but instead they must, be, they must be known for their gentleness. Not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago when Pastor Corey preached to the men of the church and he said, you know, the first Timothy said, uh, I desire that men, what, men what? Pray, lift, lifting holy hands, not, not fighting, not in anger or quarreling with one another. The, the men of the church cannot be quarreling, and thus, an elder in the church cannot be a quarrelsome man. Cannot be solving things through, through fighting and quarreling. Not quarrelsome, and then this one, not a lover of money. Jesus said, you cannot serve God and, you cannot serve God and money. You can't do it. You can't have both of them in the preeminent position of your life. And Paul lays down a very, very important safeguard for the household of God that a lover of money cannot serve in a role as elder. The reasons for that are numerous. All sorts of dangers that come from a lover of money serving in spiritual leadership. But one of the biggest things is if you put a lover of money in uh, a position of spiritual authority, uh, that person will always be drawn to make the financial decision and not always the most spiritually adept decision. And, and I'm not teasing apart finances and spirituality. Those things flow. But if you put a lover of money in, it's always going to be financial, financial, financial when the Lord may be leading in some ways that cause us to be generous and to sacrifice financially. And then the next two verses. So everything up to this point, right? You still with me? We still good? Yeah? Everything up to this point has been rapid fire. Boom, 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 boom. Now we come to this qualification two whole verses devoted to it it's a big deal it's a big deal and it makes sense as we follow Paul's logic we see why it's a big deal he must manage his own household well with all dignity keeping his children submissive for if someone does not know how to manage his own household how will he care for God's church that's a really important question isn't it Paul's line of reasoning is uh, uh, an elder in a church must have proven that he can lead, be the spiritual leader in his own household before he serves as a spiritual leader in God's household. 
He must manage his own household well. And it unpacks this. What does this look like? With all dignity, keeping his children submissive. And so uh, let me say this now while my kids are all yay high. No elder's kids are going to be perfect. My wife and I pray over our kids against the PK syndrome. You know what the PK syndrome? Preacher kid syndrome, right? And everyone's like, oh, I know that, right? But I say that seriously. We pray that their hearts would be so rooted in the gospel that they would just simply care about living lives of holiness because they love Jesus and not because they want to impress all y'all. Love all y'all, but I don't care what you think. Care what Jesus thinks, right? And so there's this reality where, like, elders, kids aren't going to be perfect. They're going to make some mistakes along the way. But what does this say? With all dignity, keeping his children submissive, but in general, patternly. There's, there's this reality that the kids look to dad and say, man, we respect him as a spiritual leader. And, and our heart is to follow his leadership and to obey him and to, to bring my life under him. And to not always be like subverting away from that. And he says, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Another not here in verse 6, he must not be a recent convert. Why? Well, he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. And so there's a warning here. Don't put someone who is new in the faith into a position as an elder in a church. To do that is to not love them well because you put them in the crosshairs of the enemy to be puffed up with conceit. And when you have conceited elders, it's a peril for a church, it's a peril for them, it's a peril for everyone. And so not a recent convert. And then he says in verse 7, moreover, he must be well thought of by, by who? He must be well thought of by who? The outsiders. I find this one fascinating. You know, you, you would think Paul would go, and who cares what everyone else thinks in the community? Man, if they're, if they're known as men of God in the church and they're known as men of God in the home, like who cares what outsiders think? But he says, no. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. To say it like this, an, elders, an elder whose reputation is suspect in the community will make the community suspect of that church. Right? Again, what I said earlier, you don't want the community looking in and going, man, that guy serves as a spiritual leader in that church? An elder whose reputation is suspect in the community will make the community suspect of that church. And thus, it's important and all of this, right? You see that whole list on the screen. And you can go like, whoa, whoo. Remember what I said at the outset. All this is, is gospel fruit being born from a gospel heart planted in the soil of the gospel. It's what God wants for all of us in this room. But it's what God demands saying the elders of the church must lead out in these things in every way. Amen? And so elders must have a godly desire to serve as an overseer and godly character to qualify as an overseer. Now, uh, one of the things we've been wanting to do with this series, right, because so much of this series is us just coming back, just seeking to sure up foundation of what God calls our church to. Seeking to tuck point some brick, if you will, and just going, we just want everything to be uh, healthy. 
And so one of the things, one of the ways we wanted to serve the congregation in the midst of this is just our elders have done such a good job of putting together some position papers. Because some of you might be sitting in here and you're going, man, this is the first church I've ever been a part of that's been led by a group of elders. I've, always, I've grown up in deacon-led churches or congregational churches or whatever. Uh, and so we have another position paper for you that just unpacks how we think about elders, how we think about deacons. And I would just commend this to you as a, as a great tool I think will bring great clarity to you. And so uh, you can access that resource through, you know, scanning this QR code right here. You can also just jot this down through our website resources as you get to our resources page click on articles and it will take you to this right here all of this kind of in-depth double clicking teaching on all these characteristics though church for this reason are you ready it's all about this you ready we just want jesus to look down on this church and say i'm pleased Nothing flashy about it. We just want to look at what the word of God says that he calls his household to. And we just want to say, God, we just want to be about those things. We want to do what you say to do. We want to, we want to follow the ways you've prescribed. We want to behave the way you've called us to behave. Why? So that you are glorified in this place. And so that the gospel radiates out from this place. Amen? Amen. That's why we want. That's why we're studying the details of this. That's why we're just shoring up the foundation of what God has called Redeemer Bible Church and every local church to be part of. And so church, on that note, if you would stand with me, and I just want us to worship our way out of here today.